some pretty cool developments. Uh, I don't know. My, my fiance is actually here with her parents and fan, friends and family as well. And so I got engaged, which is awesome. Yeah. And that's my time this morning. So. <laughs> I was thinking through our relationship and how it started and the first time I asked her out. And I was remembering how uncomfortable asking girls are, uh, asking them out is. Uh, guys, right? That's pretty awkward at times, like the words don't necessarily flow like butter. I mean, it's not that great of an experience. And I remember when I was younger, that was even more difficult than it was when I asked out Suzanne. And I always would like plan ahead, like this is the day, this is D-Day, the date day. And I would go and it lives like in my calendar with like little hearts. <laughs> um, and I would be talking to the girl, and we'd be having a conversation, and in my mind, I have like this growing tension, inner, inner monologue that's just like, do it, do it now, otherwise you're going to bail, and then it's tomorrow, and then each day that goes by, you're that much further in the friend zone. And man, you don't want to be in the friend zone, do you? Right? And man, if you are in the friend zone, we do have prayer after service, <laughs> if you need it. You get it. Uh, so I, I, I didn't. I feared the friend zone with like a fiery passion. So I was like, I gotta do this today. And so usually I, the girl would be talking, and I ask her how her day is going, and she would be, da 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 da. And then I'd be like, it never came out quite as I planned, and it was always a little slightly louder than needed, and awkwardly timed. So she'd be like mid sentence, and then I went to the, Do you want to date me? She's like startled. What? Date me now. So I thought I got better when I asked out Suzanne, but apparently when she tells a story, I was like, well, you know, we had just gone on a little, like what looked like a date to me. We did dinner and a movie. Like that's like, like date gold, right? And we're hanging out and she's driving me back to my motorcycle, which is a total win, by the way. <laughs> Can you take me back to my motorcycle? Great. And so we're driving back, and we're sitting outside my motorcycle, and in my mind, the inner monologue starts going. It's like, okay, it's go time, buddy. And, uh, and I think I'm super smooth, and, but what happens is I was more like, so, oh, my gosh, is it hot in here? Um, that was fun. Well, that was fun, right? You had a great time, right? That was great. We all had a good movie, great movie. Um, so the time that... Do, do you want to date? Friend? No, I don't want to be in the friend zone. That's what I'm trying to say. Will you date me? Uh, actual, I just want you to know I'm interested in you romantically. <laughs> and so she said yes, which is, which is great. And, and when I tell that story, I'm like, from my perspective, I was like, and then I was like, hey, girl, how are you doing? You like my motorcycle? It's 1986, same year I was born classic. Yeah, but we go on a date. And so when I think about it, man, I was super smooth, but then Suzanne's like, you weren't just like nervous at your voice. You were like a puppet. Your hands were flying. Like, what was going on? I was like, I don't, I don't think that was the same experience that we're both remembering. And I think about like, what was the difference in my mind versus what actually happened? And uh, I'm looking back, going into that experience, I w- it wasn't like times before where I was like, oh, she's probably going to say no. So I have reason to be nervous. It's going to be awkward for everybody involved. Um, but I thought, she's going to say yes. Like, I believe that. I quit believing she would say no and started believing she would say yes. Similarly, this morning, in your faith, 
with Jesus, the most important relationship you could ever pursue, there may be some things that you need to quit believing so that you can have that relationship. We've been doing this series called Christian. A little question mark. I don't even know how to say that. Christian. It's all in the inflection. And they we're talking about this idea that this, this word Christian, like, what does it even mean anymore? You can be someone who's a de- devout follower of Jesus, or you could also be someone with a, with a sign picketing a funeral, and we call it Christian. So th- we know we don't want that, but we do want something more than what this word offers us today. And this morning, I'm going to present three things that you might need to quit doing or thinking in your own life so that you can stop being that sort of Christian and maybe start following Jesus as a disciple. When I first moved down here, I did the Rooted experience. And if you haven't done Rooted, you should definitely do it. It's a very powerful time of community and conversation. And it's just a place where you can just be authentically you, and that's okay. And we like that. And part of this experience, there's, a, there's experiences built into it. And one of those is a rooted experience. And this rooted experience, you go, or the prayer experience, obviously it's a rooted experience, a prayer experience in the rooted experience. And leading up to this prayer experience, I, I'm just having this, this rough conversation with God. There were some financial things that I was needing to, to pay for soon. And, and I had moved down here without a job lined up. I moved down here just on faith. Like, this is what God wants me to do. I'm following Jesus by coming down here. And I just felt really like deep sense of conviction about that. But I had this time in my relationship with God where I was just pouting and childish. I'm like, God, like, don't you see what I'm doing? See what I'm doing, God? Like, this is pretty great. Like, when are you going to provide for me here? And it turned into that question, into me more griping. God, when are you going to do this? God, why haven't you done this yet? And it it led up to this prayer experience. And our prayer, our, our rooted leader says to us, hey, go out on the beach and have actual conversation with God. Don't make it about you just talking to God, which prayer so easily turns into. Make it about a conversation. Will you have an opportunity where you hear from God? And so he said, go have a conversation. Go hear from God. And so I walk off, and I just start ranting again. Well, God, I wasn't done with these things. I kept talking kept talking at him. And as I'm walking along the beach, the waves are crashing back and forth and still ranting. And there was a moment where it was as if my brain needed to take a breath. And in that small moment, God was like, can I, can I say something now? Can I talk to you for a moment? I was like, all right, God. All right, yeah, sure. What? What do you have to say? Look at these birds. And so I'm walking and I see these birds and they look like, like miniature seagulls. I don't know what they're called. They're either miniature seagulls or like if you're really far away, they're normal size seagulls. And they're just going, as the waves go out, they run out and they like pick as much food as they can and they run back. And they just go back and forth and their little teeny legs are, and it just looks ridiculous. And I'm thinking, God, these birds look so stupid. And I'm like, but yet surprisingly hilarious. Like this looks ridiculous. And this is happening again and again, and, and God's like, don't you think I care about you more than I care about these birds? Don't you think that if I provide food for these birds, don't you think I'm going to provide for you? Don't you think that just maybe your purpose is more important to me than the purpose of these birds? And in that moment, I had this profound realization. It's like, it doesn't matter what's happening in my circumstance. 
if all I'm doing is trusting in what I can do, what I can manufacture, what the circumstance is saying to me, rather than trusting in Jesus. You see, if, if you don't quit trusting in your circumstance then, and start trusting in Jesus, it will keep you from following him. And the crazy thing is the very next day, the exact amount of money that I needed was just handed to me. And I was like, all right, God, I get it. <laughs> Again. Following Jesus is more than just trusting that things are going to work out. It's trusting that Jesus loves you deeply and is going to take care of you. Stop trusting in what you can see and start trusting in who you're seeking. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 encourages us, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. There are some in this room who are facing a circumstance where you are feeling like you are at your end. And you're wondering, when are you going to show up, God? When are you going to provide? When are you going to do what you do as God? And I would encourage you to stop trusting in your skills and your calculated risks and start trusting in Jesus. To stop seeking the comfort of lifestyle and start seeking the comforter of this life. There is nothing to gain from trusting in just what you can see. And there is everything to gain if you trust in Jesus who you seek. After I graduated the YMCA, after I graduated and came here, I had my little YMCA diploma. After I graduated high school, I got a job at the YMCA. And... I quickly worked my way up. I was pretty proud of that. I was like, man, I'm doing really great. I started at the front desk, and then weeks later, I'm the supervisor of the front desk. And then within two years, at age 20, I'm the youngest director in the association, leading the largest program there with the greatest amount of volunteer hours. And, and I'm like, man, I'm doing awesome things with my life. And, and felt really good about the success that, was, that was, came to me so young. And um, in addition to that, I was working also at a church, working 15 to 30 hours at the church, youth pastoring there. And so between the two jobs, I was working 50 to 70 hours at one, 15 to, to 30 at the other. And if you do the math, it's a lot of hours. <laughs> it wasn't a great use of uh, not a lot of personal time for myself. But somehow I found a girl to date. And in that time, I was dating. And while youth pastoring, while doing these things in the community with a Christian organization, Somewhere I got off, and instead of following Jesus, I started following the success. I started following the dollar. I started get craving the value that I got from what people thought of me rather than what Jesus thought of me. And with this girl, I started getting into the party scene, getting drunk nearly every weekend, and then preaching on Sunday. And then we would very often engage in premarital sex and I'm sitting here as a hypocrite, trying to hide this inner life, saying that I'm a Christian on Sunday, but then once Monday hits, I just do what I want. 
and I built this life where I was, it was successful. I was a Christian. People looked at me for spiritual advice, but I was more concerned about the success of my work than I was the success of my relationship that became a marriage with this girl. I was more concerned about the spirituality or appearing spiritual with other people than I was the spirituality of my own life or the life of my marriage. I was more concerned in building a lifestyle than I was building a life in my marriage. And everything was kind of balancing. I was getting everything to work as I wanted to. I was keeping the hidden stuff hidden, and I was glorifying the better-looking stuff. And I was making it work. And so one day, I found out that my wife was having an affair and filed for divorce. And everything I worked so hard to build, and everything I worked so hard to hide was exposed and broken. And I looked back, and I was like, how did I get here? I was doing so well. I had a house. I had a great job with a great future, and now it's just gone. How did I get here? And all I wanted to do was hide. I didn't want anyone to see me. I didn't want to see what I had become or who I, in fact, was. But God had a different plan. He took me through a couple seasons of healing. One was through counseling with this amazing man of God who cut me to my core, called me out, and he said, you are a liar. I was like, what? Are you supposed to be helping me here? No, you are a liar. You've been living two lives. Which life do you want to live? It's like, whoa. And then I moved out of my house and in my parents' house, and that was a humbling experience. <laughs> but it was a powerful experience because my parents were so loving, and they let me be raw, and let me be broken, and they were encouraging. They spoke truth into my life. And they said, this is not who you are. This is who you could be. God loves you as you are. And then I felt like God was saying, you need to go. You need to go someplace where you will be alone with me. And so I, through a series of conversations and different things, I decided, okay, I'm going to move to Florida. I'm retiring myself right here. I'm moving to Florida. <laughs> and so I moved to Florida thinking, oh, I'm starting over. I'm done with that whole ministry thing. I'm never doing that again because I don't think I can, given my history and whatever, <laughs> whatever I've done. And I moved to Florida. I ended up living in this resort, <laughs> to be honest, and I didn't, I ended up not really even working for like two or three months, and thinking that I was just going to start over, and I just could not get the wheels going, and God had me alone that moment. I spent 12 to 15 hours a day just walking around downtown Orlando, just talking to God, and God started to rebuild me. God started to say, who you were is not who you're going to be. I'm going to build something new in you, and it starts with you telling your story, being honest about who you were and where you were and what I did in the middle of that. You see, friends, you cannot follow Jesus if you're hiding. You can't. You'll try to balance it. You'll try to make it work. But I tell you what, sin will always take you further than you want to go. And usually it's going to end up with you on your face, broken, saying, how did I get here? 
Surely after the death of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, his disciples had fled when Jesus needed him the most. And they were terrified. They were terrified that they were going to experience the same thing that Jesus experienced. And so they're hiding. And the story picks up in John 20, where it says, Verse 19, on the evening of the first, that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now imagine this for a moment. They've locked the doors and they're terrified. And then the door opens up and Jesus is there and he says, peace be with you. Imagine them being completely stirred, like, oh my gosh, who's here? And then, oh no, it's, oh, it's Jesus. Remember the last time we saw you, Jesus, we were running. The, oh man, this is awkward. Uncomfortable here. Uh, yeah, sorry. I thought we were all doing that. I thought we were going to then like talk about it later, like we always do. Uh, I, uh, can you imagine the tension and how awkward this be? But this, this would be. But Jesus walks in. And he says, "Peace be with you. Peace be with you." Continues. Says, After he said this, he showed them his hands and side, where he was pierced with nails and pierced with a spear. He said. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You see, Jesus came back and he called the disciples out of hiding. And he says, go with your scars. Go with your pain. Go with your hurt. As I have come, I am sending you. And Jesus came with his scars, with the holes in his hands, the hole in his side. You see, the most powerful thing happens when you give your story to God and let him use it for his glory. If we just keep trying to hide the story and hide the pain, hide the brokenness, it will stay that way. It will always be broken. It will always be full of pain. But if you say, Jesus, this is no longer mine. Take it. Use it. It's yours. Your story becomes powerful. It becomes the truth of Jesus' love and grace to the lives of those around you. There was one morning where I was at the Y shortly after my life imploded, and I was opening the building. So I was there at 4 in the morning, which is a, just a horrible in of itself. And I'm getting coffee because I couldn't function, and my entire being was, it felt empty. And there's a, a maintenance man there named Kirk, and he... Uh, would come in half hour before the building opened every week, and he would turn on worship music, and he would be like singing through the halls, and like you would hear him, you're like, oh, well, this guy is pretty crazy. He had a great voice, and uh, he he was just one of the most authentic dudes I had ever talked to, and he had a he had a great spirit about him. He knew a lot about Jesus, and he and not just knowledge. He actually it seemed like he was following Jesus, and him and I always had great conversations. Sometimes about sports, sometimes about relationships, sometimes about deep spiritual things that we were going through at the time. But this morning, I wanted to unload on him. Like I had all this story, this pent up brokenness, and I was like, Ugh, can you just help me with that? And I was hoping that he would have some sort of wisdom, some sort of insight from his life that would help my life, some sort of spiritual truth. And what happened is he started telling me his story, a story I had never heard before, a story about in his first marriage, a marriage of nine years, his wife had multiple affairs with multiple guys. And he started to tell me about who he was at the beginning of his marriage and how he became broken in the middle of his marriage and then how Jesus saved him throughout that time and, res- and just protected his heart in so many different ways. 
And he began to encourage me with his story. And for the first time since my own brokenness, I heard the voice of Jesus in his story. And his story became like the gospel to me. You see, when Jesus is a part of your story, it becomes a gospel to those who hear. It becomes the good news of Jesus Christ. It becomes real. It becomes more relevant than anything they've ever heard, and it breathes life into them. You may be thinking, well, how could God use my story? How could God use me? Well, if God used a guy like David in Scripture who was an adulterer and a murderer, then he, can, he could use you. If God used a guy like Paul, who before he was Paul, his name was Saul, and he was a religious zealot who his entire purpose was to destroy the early church, and he was ripping people from their homes, executing people, and he wanted to do everything he could to stand between people and Jesus. If God could use Paul, I think he could use you. If God could use someone like Moses who had a speech impediment and actually told God when God's like, I need to use you to free some people, Moses is like, dude, I think you got the wrong guy. If God can use Moses, I think he can use you. If God can use people like tax collectors, that during that time they were the scum of the earth, no one wanted to be around them and no one liked them. And if God could use fishermen who were uneducated and the rejects of the time, if God could use them, maybe he could use you. If God can use the broken and the lost, he can use you. If God can use me, God can use you. See, the power of your story can bring glory to Jesus if you give it to him, if you come out of hiding. Don't let hiding keep you from following Jesus. Some of you may be even hiding today in this room. Do you need to quit hiding as a Christian so you can follow Jesus as a disciple? And none of this even matters. None of this matters if there's not love. If there's not real love. Jesus told his disciples, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He says, by this, you, they will know you are my disciples. Not how well you sing a song in church. Not how well you serve someone in the community. Not how well you read your Bible but they will know you are my disciples by your love. Love that is real. Not just love that is, happens when love is easy. Like love is great when we're all here and we're slapping high fives on the patio. We're jumping in bounce houses and eating meat. Like, I, that's, like that's love. I love that. But that's easy love, right? What about love when there is obstacles to love? Like judgment. When you look at that person and you're like, oh, man. The mistakes they've made. Their hair, for one, but the mistakes they've made. I know you're looking at this Bieber right now. Or jealousy. You're like, oh, that guy. They're so talented and jealous and jolly up here on their instruments. And man, they suck. <laughs> what about injustice? What about when someone has wronged you, has left you hurting? 
has said something to you that broke you, a parent who left, a husband who cheated, a family member who wasn't there for you when you needed them, or someone who forgot something that was important. How do you love then? Where do we look to love in the midst of those obstacles? And I'll tell you, as Christians, we can't navigate our way through those obstacles on our own. We need something or someone to lead us through that. And Jesus is the perfect example of love. Perfect example. And now before I lose some of the men here, because he's, he's been talking about love for some time, why don't you grill some meat, you have a beard, hammer something. I mean, before I lose you men, let me tell you about this love. This isn't like flowy hair, hippie look, love. This is love that is relentless. Love of a warrior. Love that doesn't stop. Imagine Jesus being betrayed by his closest friends in his time of greatest need, and he loved those friends. In Jesus, when he was beaten to a pulp, whipped and scourged, leaving his back in shreds. The Bible says if you knew him beforehand and then you saw him after, you wouldn't be able to recognize him. The beating was so bad. And he loved those who were beating him and mocking him, spitting on his face, shoving a crown of thorns on his head. He loved them. And even as he carried the cross toward his own crucifixion and the people around him were screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, he loved them. And even as the soldier took the nail and hammered again and again into his flesh, pinning him to the cross, he loved him. This is the standard of love in which God shows us. They will know you are my disciples by your love. Jesus isn't just the example of love for us. He is the definition of love. In 1 John, there's a letter written, and, it's, and this letter is written for us. And it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we showed God, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we are in him and he is in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God that he has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love and lives in God, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us. So you have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is made perfect in love. 
One who fears not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever loves, whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You see, love is evidence of your relationship with God. The love that you have have for other people introduces them to God. The extent of love that you have, not just for those who are easy to love, but those who seem maybe unlovable, the extent of love you have for them is the extent of love that we have for our God. Love is the main thing. Love is the most important thing. Let's not be a community of Christians caught in our own hidden lives. But let's be a community of followers taking one step at a time toward Jesus, founded in love and grace. May people know that we are about love. And may that be the most important thing. Jesus didn't die on the cross to guilt you into following him. He didn't die like, well, did you see what I did? Yeah, that was pretty important. You should probably follow me. No, he died on the cross to take your guilt so that you can follow him. Don't miss it. Don't miss it this morning because you're too stuck in your circumstance that you're trusting in what you can do or what you want to do that you aren't trusting in Jesus. And don't miss it because you're so consumed in trying to balance the life between the good things and the things I keep hidden. And don't miss it because you're settling for something less than love. God wants us to be followers. And it looks messy. It doesn't look perfect. But we're following he who is perfect. What do you need to quit today so that you can follow Jesus as a disciple? Let's pray. Gracious Father, you love us. You love us well. There is nothing that we can do that will keep you from loving us. God, there is not even a piece of love that you don't offer us. During this time of worship, may we offer everything. May we let go of the things that are keeping us from being with you. That's the best thing we could do for ourselves, is to be with you.